Welcome to Destined to Disrupt, a movement, a mantra, a podcast. We are here to explore the stories of how creatives of color arrive to disrupt the world. I'm your host and resident storyteller, Felicia. I'm a designer, creative activist, business maven, your local homegirl, and most importantly, I'm a disruptor. On this week's episode, we have Deandra Ray, the sustainable designer. Deandra tells us about how she disrupted her lifestyle habits, going vegan, opened up a whole new avenue as a plant-based luxury shoe designer and advocate. She tells us about how her fashion journey started by sketching when she was a child and writing business plans on cardboard. After attending Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia and obtaining a degree in economics, she took her talents to New York City to pursue her dream in fashion by becoming a wardrobe stylist and digital influencers for celebrities and brands. During this time, she dug deeper into her education and pursued a master's in global fashion enterprise program to learn more about the business of fashion. While learning to sew, visiting factories overseas and constructing business plans, she began working with brands who had a mission not only to provide fashion and beauty to the world, but in a healthy way. Ready to learn more about this disruptor? Tapped in. Welcome to Destined to Disrupt. So you're in Santa Monica, yeah, California now. Yeah. So, yeah. so tell me about this this journey from New York. The last time I saw you, again, New York at a bar that had to be 2018. I think that was okay, yeah. 2018. Yeah. So I, like many people, moved out here during COVID. I was in New York during COVID. And I was working in my little apartment and I just was like, this is not really sustainable. Like I felt like I was kind of in a little prison and like, thankfully I was down the street from a grocery store and whatever I needed was like quintessentially in walking distance. But I just was like, this is not going to work creatively. Like I just started the line and I was like, I need to like be outside. So yes. I Actually, my lease ended in August and I didn't know I was going to move out here. Like I always went to move out to LA and I came out here and visited and I just was like, oh my God, I love it out here. This is amazing. I could just, I think this is where I started the line. I was like, I just wanted to like, I said, I went to live by the beach, make shoes. Like that's what I had decided. And then I went home for, I actually went to the DR for the month and I was like, just went away and I was like, okay, let me figure out where I'm going to go. Cause yes. I was like, I can't, I can't live in the middle of the city in a box and not be able to like get outside. So yeah, I was like, you know what? You've always wanted to go to LA. People out there, your industry's out there, like just go out there. So I literally like got an Airbnb and came out here and I was like, I'm going to like stay in an Airbnb for a couple of months and try to figure out my bearings. And then I came across Santa Monica because I wanted to live by the beach and I just was like, okay, like, this is absolutely where I have to live. And then I moved I officially signed my lease in January. And I guess wow. I'm a Californian. <laughs> You're a California girl. Well, you give me California vibes anyway. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's very fitting for you. The whole lifestyle. Yeah, totally different than I guess New York. Although I am like going through a love affair with New York as well after being in LA for eight years now. So I feel like super duper veteran (laughs) 
but I still have, there's still so much like to do. And I just remember, I remember that eight years ago, actually starting my line Mm -hmm. November and living by the beach. I was living Mm -hmm. like Venice and it was just, everything just started to click. Like everything Mm -hmm. just started to align and yeah, I ended up getting a gig in the industry, um, in LA. So that really gave me some scope. I was working with Joie, Current Elliot, and uh, what's the other one they have? Equipment. So just very similar. Didn't have a like plan per se, but it just kind of unfolded. And I'm just so, I'm so thrilled for you. Like this, these beginnings. And I'm so excited about these shoes, girl, because yes. I'm like, I've been watching. Okay, guys. So I've been watching Deandra and she's been on a journey. Like I watched, I was like, where is she going? Is she moving to Costa Rica, Dominican? Like where is she going next? And from what I recall, right before COVID, you were getting prepared to launch Mm -hmm. the line and working with Samsung. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I have to stay tapped in and follow her journey and see where she ends up. And now she's right down the street. So now we're going to (laughs) go. Now we're going to go hang by the beach and like have cocktails and talk design and fashion. So a full circle moment. This is why how people end up on destined to disrupt because it's destined, you know, it's yeah. just destiny. So mm-hmm. maybe let's talk about a little bit more about that disruption that you had with launching the brand. Tell me about that. Yeah. To your point, we launched Joanne Brene in 2019. So it was right before COVID. I was working with Samsung just as an influencer. And then I was starting the line and we were sampling and prototyping and like really just trying to figure out what vegan materials I was going to use to make these like luxury shoes. So it was all just in like beta mode. And then finally kind of got everything sampled actually in Brooklyn and was doing the launch in December. And we were supposed to have two launches. So it was going to be like the soft launch, which we did. And that went really well. And then we we're going to do a hard launch. And that was supposed to be March of 2001. And then COVID happened. So we kind Crazy. of pivoted the best we could and did like a virtual launch. But it really shifted business. Like our factory closed down for three months and mm. we couldn't produce. Our line actually ended up being like a season later than it was supposed to be. And pre-orders were slowing because nobody was going anywhere. This was like when you literally could not leave your house. So it was like, yeah, no one's buying heels. Like, where is anyone right. going? Right. <laughs> literally so, the worst timing ever. <laughs> the worst timing. So we had our pre-orders out. I'm kind of like panicking a bit because we like locked in our factory in Italy. We locked in this order. And I'm like, I don't know how to pay for this. And I don't know how to put this out. And so we actually won a grant from Harlem's Fashion Row. And that is what we used to put out our first line. And that was like a lifesaver because I've been bootstrapping, like putting all my money into starting the business. But we're not seeing that much revenue because people are in the house. So it was really like, it was just all like a blur at one point. And then we actually had what we called our second launch and I remember our marketing was like, I've never actually seen somebody have the opportunity to launch twice. And so that's kind of like 
how I thought about it. This was like our second time at launching. Mm -hmm. And now that we were virtual, we just went really hard on building the social media online presence. Cause that's where, I mean, it, that's where everybody went after COVID. Like people were on there before COVID, but everybody's just on their phone. So yeah, we had our second launch in November, end of November. And that was last year. And then we've been around for six months now and gotten really amazing press and, you know, built this like cult customer following. So yeah, we, I think, stood the test of the pandemic, which is really cool. And it's a specific market, like the Mel Hills made of pineapple. So it's definitely someone who's vegan and sustainable, but it's like really nice to see people supporting, you know, black vegan sustainable businesses, especially during COVID when people are financially strapped. So yeah, we we launched the the unthinkable (laughs) during the unthinkable, doing the unthinkable, like, wow, I'm just listening. I'm just thinking about seeing it from the outside, just from the outside looking in, like it just looked like the show went on regardless and not even knowing like all the constraints, the because the factory is in Italy, right? Mm-hmm. The okay. And then bootstrapping. Okay, I'm launching. Who's going to buy this? I'm just thinking of all the thoughts, all the thoughts. So what really kept you going and gave you hope? Shout out to Harlem Fashion Row for that grant and all the beautiful work that they're doing. But what kept you going during this time? What was really keeping you encouraged? I guess like the need for our line. I think that, you know, there aren't many vegan fashion lines that like focus on luxury and also focus on biodegradable fabric. So it's really easy nowadays to, you know, slap a greenwashing label on something or say it's vegan, but it's made of like polyurethane, which is obvious, like really bad for the planet. So I feel like it's just a very small niche of designers that are taking it as seriously as we do. And because I'm vegan and I've gotten into the lifestyle and I see like the pollution and just the small ways we can change things. I think that just knowing that people are going to want this because they want to be conscious and they want to invest into something that's not going to continue killing our planet. So like that was really my driving force and to know that this is kind of an untapped market. Like I think a lot of lines are going vegan and going sustainable, which I think is great. But you know, to really like make that your business plan and focus is still a niche. So I kind of knew that we had to launch. Like, you know, people needed the product. So it was kind of like from the initial sketch and just the concept that people are getting excited when I'm saying it's made of from pineapples or like it's made in Italy or, you know, it's this fashionable heel. Like people are, they're already like looking at me like, okay, so like, when is it going to be out? So I felt all this pressure. Like, okay, <laughs> like I have to, <laughs> like I got to do this. Like people are already, they're already excited about it. So yeah. I think that's what's kept me going. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that in itself is disruptive, right? Because when you think about it, where else am I going to find a luxury shoe that is sustainable and sexy? And I haven't tried it yet. Okay. It is on my list, y'all. I had admittedly, I had to pause 
my shopping because I'm mm-hmm. like, where am I going, girl? Where are you going? Where are you going? Mm-hmm. But I also was becoming a lot more conscious at the brands that I chose to support slash watch. And I just can't wait. I'm like, do I want the cognac? Do I want the coral? They're so beautiful. So maybe tell us about the brand. And I definitely hear the, the core why in the veganism. And I knew this about DeAndre when I met her, like she was a vegan and she was like a natural curly girl at the time. Now she's in these beautiful blocks that look, oh my God, like how much growth? She just so much growth. Like in a year, they've gone from like my ears to my shoulders. Like now I can make a ponytail. She's a a whole plant. Okay. So she's always evolving, growing. So tell us about the brand and and your why and inspiration. I think the people would love to know. Yeah. So Joanne Brene actually um, is named after my mom and my late aunt. So my mom is Joanne and she had a shop. So growing up, I was in her shop all the time, kind of like watching her be this fashion entrepreneur. And I think that's kind of how I got interested in like working in fashion. And then I surrounded my whole career in it. And then my aunt Brene actually like would watch me sketch. So I sketched when I was little. I I sketched using my whole life for whatever reason. So I was always going to start a shoe line. I always thought she's cool. And so I named the line after them just as like a homage to them kind of getting me into the industry and letting me know that I could do this. And then once we kind of solidified on the name, which people love because it sounds super like luxury Italian. So once we got Joey and Renee going, we kind of shaped the brand around like who our customer is going to be. And of course, we focus on Black women's empowerment. I am a Black woman. I believe that representation for us is just not enough. So that was really like our target in reference to creating the designs. And I hand sketch everything. And... The first design, I wanted it to be something that was high fashion, but still wearable. So I wanted people who might be going to a corporate work day, or we might be going out for drinks, or we might be going to like, you know, an event, but I wanted it to transition into all of these different moments, because I know that the corporate woman is investing in a pair of shoes that she can wear everywhere. And so we wanted it to be transitional, but also even though they still are something that you can kind of wear on what we would call an everyday basis. You know, with COVID, it's changed on an everyday basis. So in reference to the actual designs and colors, I decided that I wanted to make sure we had multiple colorways that paired back to each other. And that was something that I came up with when we were designing just because I was looking at colors next to each other. And I'm like, wow, like the cognac and the paprika and the mulberry, they all work together. And then we started to get a call out like, oh, I would buy those like Jordan. Like I would get the cognac and then I get the paprika and I'll like flip them up and wear yeah. one or the other. And so I was like, oh, that's a really great selling point is to make sure we have colors that all go back to each other. And then people have loved the paprika. That's actually number one. And then cognac is like almost sold out. So we definitely got a lot of great feedback on the colors. And, you know, with the details on the shoe, like we put this feather on the back. I call it party in the back, you know, and then yes. like, put it in the front. So yes. like, okay. Yeah. Get you that one that does both. Okay. Exactly. One that does both. <laughs> like, you, you know, she's going from her meeting to drinks event at night and she needs to have the same pair of shoes on. So we really were conscious about who we're making it for. And then as a heel where I hated being that girl who's like in a pair of shoes that hurt and you're just standing yeah. there and you're like, I can't wait to go home. The worst. And the worst. Yes. <laughs> like, 
when we made the heel, our heel was more of a triangle shape. It's made specifically to, you know, be sturdy enough to wear. And I've like tested these out. I've been in them like with bad ankle before and like five hours. So I was really cognizant about the comfortability of it because it's one thing to have great shoes on, but it's another thing to feel great in your shoes. And so, yeah, that was a really big thing for us in reference to the design. And then, of course, I had mentioned sustainability of it. So our fabric that we use is 80% biodegradable. So, and it's made with like maybe 5% polyurethane. So very, very little. Whereas a traditional vegan shoe is 100% polyurethane and doesn't biodegrade. So we we make sure that we use fabrics that you can either biodegrade at like a 70 to 80%, you know, range or more, because that's really the trash and the landfill buildup. Mm-hmm. So that was a really big pillar for us. And once we found Pinatex that makes the pineapple leaf fabric, we were like, okay, great. So like we have really great concepts here. We put it all together and then we have what Joy and Renee is today. Wow. 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 I'm just so like impressed with the inspiration, your mom and your aunts. My mother and my aunts really influenced me too in fashion. It's just so crazy how subtle it was. But I would go up to, they would would always take bus trips to New York and like they would get on the little, it wasn't the, it wasn't like the Greyhound because we know that was just crazy. Those were college (laughs) days. But back in the day with my aunts and my mom, we would take like these shopping trips to New York and just that exposure. It's just interesting how when you're a child, how you're expressing it and the doodling and you always known and now it's here. So that is just such a beautiful story. And then just recognizing the need in the market, I think is like really huge and identifying like who knew peanut, who knew about peanut tech? Like, how did you even find out about that? And I just came off a project with United Nations doing a big project around climate change and their Act Now campaign. So this was really interesting because at Parsons, I'm in the Global Executive Strategic Management Program, which is all about design thinking, human-centered design, and really just starting with empathy with everything. In terms of approaching problems and solving problems, you really have to like deeply empathize with like your consumer. It sounds like you were really able to do that because you're coming from a space where, hey, I realize like the actions that I do and the things that I put in my body have an impact and an effect. I was literally in eight weeks. What is increasing our carbon imprint? And I was completely out of my wheelhouse. And now everything I think about, I'm thinking about climate change now from the way I get around. Should I walk? Should I drive? Should I? You know, like, should my shower be shorter? Should I'm making sure I'm recycling? That's like basics. But then eating meat, like understanding the impacts of eating meat and cows and like the emissions, mm-hmm. like what cows are doing. That was really crazy. And then just really understanding like the importance of sharing that awareness, because I think people aren't really cognizant of their actions. So it's almost like a mindset shift that's happening. And not only the industry, right, but just like personally. So when you switched into your veganism lifestyle, what was that mindset shift that kind of got you on this mission? I guess it was like a longer journey that I knew I was on. Because my dad actually come to find out after I went vegan was vegan Zen Buddhist before I was born for 13 years of his life. 
And yeah, right. And that Zembrit is wow. Like, and then he didn't eat pork or beef. So I grew up just eating chicken and fish and turkey. Mm-hmm. So I already grew up with a more vegetable diet just because mm-hmm. that was what he would use to substitute the different beef or pork meals. Mm-hmm. And so I, I already, I guess, was like slightly organic eating vegan before I knew I was. And then of course, I'm a black person, like severely lactose intolerant. So like mm-hmm. grew up really struggling with that, like really bad for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I started paying attention to what I was putting in my body. Oh, if I eat this pizza, like I'm sick. So like I started really seeing like, okay, well, I don't really want to feel like this. So like, let me maybe try a cheeseless pizza. Or maybe I won't get pizza. Like maybe I won't get dairy. And so coupling that together, like I actually started paying more attention to what I was eating. Mm-hmm. And I just started realizing like I really didn't like the taste of chicken. And like, mm-hmm. I didn't really eating fish. And I kind of felt like I was that person that like, didn't want chicken wings because I felt like it was barbaric. Pull all these little wings apart. Like, <laughs> if you like asked me to, if you would have asked me to break a crab, I'd be like, like so I was just that person. I was, not, I was not with it. So I always was just like a little skeptical. And so once I started accepting that, I was like, okay, like maybe you should try to be vegan because you can't really digest milk or cheese. You don't really like eating animals. Like it's not something that you like to do. So I actually was researching it. And then I feel like a lot of people watch this, but I watched what the hell. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the light bulb that I just needed to turn on. Like the light bulb was already screwed in. Like I already was like thinking about it. And it was just like, visually it was like, okay, like you need to just try it. Why not? Mm-hmm. And so that was 2018. And I like went cold turkey. That was wow. my mindset. Just cut it out. Wow. Because I knew that if I gradually took it out, I would probably go back to eating it because it's just so convenient to, to do it. So I was like, let me just cut it out. And I'm like one of those people that like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it 100%. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to be vegan now. And then I started like liking the way I was feeling. And so that's when I really started deciding like, this is going to be my lifestyle, like from eating to just like, how you're saying like the different choices, like now I'm shopping and I'm looking like, is this a PETA approved vegan product? Opening up the bag to really like turn the tag over and see like what it's made out of or, mm-hmm. you know, taking my recyclable bags to Whole Foods or like you said, walking around or scootering instead of driving. And I really started to be like, okay, if I'm going to do things, I should make sure that I'm impacting the world in a good way. And also in my body. Right. Yeah. That was like, once I started feeling good, I was like, no turning back. Right. Right. Oh, girl. I'm a recovering vegetarian, vegan. And I don't know, where am I at now? I'm a flexitarian, definitely. Okay. I took one trip to Africa and that just brought me back to me, which over there, it was completely different. Like Mm -hmm. cows have space to graze. They're not shipping the cow. And then I came back and of course I'm in this vicious cycle again, but kudos to you for making that lifestyle change and who knew that change would be the disruption that you needed or the impetus you needed to start this brand and come through in this category in this way as a black woman, as a just a a conscious consumer, as somebody that is been in the industry and has seen, I'm sure, a lot of what's worked and what hasn't worked. And maybe we can dig into that a little bit more. 
Such a dope episode, right? Make sure you subscribe to Destined to Disrupt to catch the next episode with Miss DeAndra Ray of Joanne Vernay.